Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. I even remember the date. It was Friday the 13th, 1991. One in September. I remember the date because me and a bunch of high school buddies were going to do a marathon of all them Jason movies that night. So I, you know, came home from school as usual. And I went up to my room to... Nick a bottle of wine from your drinks cabinet. And as we opened the door, I heard... Bang! So we went to investigate. I opened up the door and... There he was. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing excitingly well, actually, especially after seeing this episode, episode 10, right? Yeah, yeah. Episode 10, No Weddings and a Funeral. This one was written by Jane Becker and directed by MJ Delaney. And I think, I could be wrong, I'd have to go back and check, but I think this might have been the one that MJ Delaney actually won an award for. Oh, wow. I'll have to double check that. It was either a Golden Globe or an Emmy or something. So It was so well written. Um, and I just love the contrast. And we'll get into all of that. But I love that they talked about death. Because I've been doing these death chats with a couple of friends of mine since the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. we've done like five of them. They're like a few hours long. Because we realize that people don't talk about death enough. Yeah. I don't think it's actually addressed enough. And I love that they actually sat in it and all of the awkwardness of death and funerals and the weirdness of all of it. I thought it was just great. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, especially like in this country, I feel like we have no real ritual around death, right? Like you think about a lot of cultures. I know in my culture, the Hindu culture, Um, you look at like Mexico with the day of the dead Mm -hmm. and like so many other places I know that really, you know, celebrate the lives that people led and honor the ancestors. And, um, and even like, especially here, like with, um, native American communities, um, indigenous communities, you see a lot of ritual around death, but it's just awkward here for most people. Like people don't want to talk about it. They don't know how to talk about it, especially in the workplace. Yeah. <laughs> when my mom passed away, you know, it was totally unexpected. And I was out of the office for like almost a month or maybe five weeks. And when I went back, this guy that I knew, he kind of stopped me in the hallway and he's like, well, you've been gone for a, for a while. We haven't seen you around here. Uh, you know, must be nice to have so much vacation time or, you know, or whatever. And I just, at that point, like I could, I didn't, I hadn't like, I just didn't care anymore. And I just looked at him and I said, well, you know, my mom died. So yeah, 
And I just kind of walked away. But it was just one of those things where, you know, people make a lot of assumptions or whatever, but also people in general just weren't equipped to know how to support me. Right. Or, and vice versa. Like I know in the past, like it's, you know, that somebody has passed away or try to figure out how to be there for people, but we're just not taught to really do that. Yeah. I feel especially in like a lot of Western culture, it's almost as if you want it to be fixed. You want that person to feel better. So you're like, what can I do to make you feel better so that this goes away? It's just exactly. like, it's not going away. Like exactly. it's grief. Grief comes and goes like waves. I read this once on Reddit. And I think a lot of times people are like, well, let me, you know, let me support you right now. And then you're like, okay, the funeral's over. Okay, you're good now, right? <laughs> In Filipino culture, uh, something as, you know, standard as like the casket, for example, they in many times have the casket out for sometimes a whole week, sometimes two weeks. So, you know, it sits usually in someone's house and people come and visit the person over that period of time. So you actually get comfortable being around that person that just died, right? Or at least their body. Uh, and I, and you know, I feel like, especially in America, we just want to get it out of the way as quickly as possible. We want to like quick wake, quick funeral, and then get it done and let's move on with the rest of our lives. And I don't think that is that's healthy. I just don't think so. So I love that this actually talked about that and we had to sit in the awkwardness of how everyone was coping because everyone was coping in a different way. Right, right. So yeah, so for me, like some of the overarching themes of this one, definitely grief, right? Death and grief. Mm -hmm. But I think in that, like the messiness of grief and the, the messiness and complexity of relationships, especially with our parents... The other thing that really came up for me pretty strongly was this idea of letting people know they matter. And I know we've talked about this several times in the past, but just this idea of letting people know along the way that they matter and not waiting or not assuming that they already know or whatever, but just taking that moment to do so, you know? Yeah. Another theme that came up for me, which I did not expect, was there was a little bit of toxic positivity that I also felt showed up. I think of the music at the at the very or at the beginning where her mom playing, you know, music to get her in a lighter mood and then Ted was playing some music and being all happy and Roy being like, "Well, I don't I don't really care about death and it's not that big of a deal" and trying to just pretend like like it didn't bother him when it really did. I found that really interesting as well where people were trying to almost hide the fact that it was a really weird situation and they didn't know how to feel. And rather than saying, I don't know how to feel, instead pretending they were a certain way. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call it toxic positivity though, right? Like I think it is just exactly what you said, which is that people don't know how to be with it. And so there is the pretending piece of it for sure. Uh, you know, we put on the mask to be like, yeah, I'm fine. It's no big deal. And we don't hear until later that, you know, it is a big deal. <laughs> So first of all, I feel like we're jumping all over, but the song that Ted is getting ready to is Easy Lover by Phil Collins. And a couple of episodes back, he made that comment about, you know, a man should only take as long as the song Easy Lover to get dressed and get ready. And so it was a nice little callback to that. So it's it's what he listens to every day when he gets ready. Oh, interesting. In terms of her mom, though, Rebecca's mom, 
and the song that she was playing, the Rick Astley song, (laughs) I think like for me, it just goes back to that thing about like what you were saying in terms of how people cope. Right. And so for her, like when she said like, oh, well, you should be, you know, when Rebecca said, well, you shouldn't be happy today. And she said, well, you should be happy every day. And Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, for some people like that is the thing for them. And yeah, so I just, I thought that was interesting, but I I do want to talk about the Rick Astley song because I think there's a lot more layers there, but I want to get to that when we get to that part. Okay. I also thought it was really interesting at the beginning when they were sitting, when I think it was the Diamond Dogs were sitting in the locker room with Keeley and they were all just trying to process death and how they wanted to be reincarnated, right? And, uh, uh, you know, Higgins is like, I would love to believe that animals were in charge and us humans are pets. And then Nate's like, I want to be reincarnated as a tiger and then ravage anyone that I hated. I'm like, yikes. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people in the room had that uh, yikes moment when he said that. And then Roy's like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, just very nihilistic about it. And then I loved what Beard said where he goes, you know, they weighed the body. Mm-hmm. And it was 21.3 grams lighter. And they believe that's the weight of the soul. And then, of course, Roy then runs in and says, like, that means they weighed the body before and after they died. And then just walks away. He says, clearly, whoever figured that out, weighed the person, murdered them, and then weighed them again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and then even the team, the teams is like, you know, like you had the captain being like, no trainers, like no Yeezys, like, like not even the bright red ones. Like I wear, I wear trainers all the time. Like it's very difficult and being like, well, I guess that's the standard. Like we have to change it up for, to show a certain level of respect. Yeah. I really loved that with the team because, uh, number one, we see Isaac continuing to step into his leadership, right? Letting everyone know we are going as a team this is what that means. Let me be very clear. It means wearing ties. It means wearing shirts. It means no trainers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I love that everyone's like, okay, you know, and I also love that they clearly, they all spend so much time in their trainers that they have no clue about what it means to buy dress shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I thought it's just like, it was a really nice moment of levity in comparison to like the heaviness of the topic overall, right? Right. But going back to what Beard said, his um, reference to 21 Grams was a tie-in to the movie 21 Grams. Did you ever see it? Oh, no. Um, It had, it starred uh, Naomi Watts and Benicio Del Toro um, and Sean Penn. Yeah, and it was all, this, this what it was about was death and the apparent loss of the weight after immediately after dying so it was kind of a callback to that uh which was interesting but yeah but roy like roy is so unsentimental and (laughs) you know you've got keely who just wants to like talk about it she Mm -hmm. she wants to figure it out and she wants to know i think she's searching for meaning right yeah That, that her life had some meaning and Will, as she says, continue to nourish people along the way. And so I feel like we had a few different storylines going on, right? Like we had these fillers with like Roy and Keeley and the team and all that kind of stuff. We had uh, Ted and Sharon, Dr. Sharon. And then we had Rebecca and her mom, 
which was, I think, a pretty big part of the storyline. And then we had, obviously, like Rebecca and Sam, which we can Mm -hmm. get to in a little bit. But where do you want to start? Oh, man, that's tough. You want to start with Rebecca and Sam? Because I feel like that it's start. That's the start of the episode, actually. You know, they wake up in bed together and they look like they're really enjoying each other's company. Yeah, they really do. What's weird to me is how much Sam is like dying to go public with this. Yeah. Right? Like he doesn't let it go. He just keeps bringing it up. I don't know if I found it weird because that's just Sam's personality, right? Like Sam's not, Sam does not hold on to secrets. Sam. Yeah, that's true. Lives his life on his sleeve, you know, like, I mean, he literally was telling all of his uh, teammates about the texting. Right. So for him to keep this together is impossible. He probably wants to tell his father. Right. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, yeah. Rebecca is the best at keeping secrets. She kept a secret from her mom for like 20, 30 years or however yeah. long. Right. So yeah. she is comfortable in this setting. So I could see why they were going back and forth between that because it was just drastically different personalities. Not to mention, it's probably much easier for Sam to come out with this than for Rebecca. Yeah, you're right. Like I and Sam even says it's stressful for him to to be hiding this, right? But it just makes me wonder if they're thinking about the longer term, right? And so like we talked about this, I think Right. I can't remember if it was the last episode or the one before, but like, you know, she's his boss, like big time. I know. From an HR perspective, you're like, mm. Yeah. And so for this to get out, I mean, it's going to have some consequences. And so uh, I guess that was the part. So I understand the part that he's stressed out about it and whatnot, but I feel like he's also smarter than that. And so it was just, I found it interesting that he just (laughs) kept saying how much he wanted to But he's also in love. He's in love. He wants to tell people. He wants to share it with the world. And I don't think he is actually thinking, and it's kind of maybe even hard for him to think about it because he's also, what, 23, 25 maybe? Right. I think he was 21. Maybe he's 21. My goodness. Right. Like, how could you think about the repercussions that Rebecca is going to experience? Right. She has to talk to the press about it. She'll have to talk to HR about it. Like, she's going to have to deal with this. You know, he's going to get praised because of, you know, uh, misogynistic press. He's going to be like praised for it. And she's going to be ridiculed for it. Like, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that comes full circle, right? So Keely and Roy arrive at the church and see Sassy. So first of all, I just want to say everybody needs a friend like Sassy mm-hmm. because first of all, the way she shows up at Rebecca's house. Oh, yeah. So good. But then the way that she deals with Rupert, uh, her whole thing about how she's just like she dreams about him dying every oh, day. Oh, man. And she's going to wear a red dress with joy. Oh, my goodness. Like, I loved all of that. Yeah, I loved it, too. And how she calls him out when she's just like, oh, you have a daughter now. So all the disrespectful things you've done to women just all of a sudden goes away. Mm-hmm. I know what it said that, but that's exactly how it is, because he is constantly trying to perform for everyone. Yeah. 
for the first time I saw how weak he was. I mean, I'd seen how weak he was, but I saw it even in a greater like he's really putting a lot of work in to make sure that he is remembered at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even the way he shows up at, you know, in the receiving line and makes a point of, you know, letting her know that this is my daughter and, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, the whole thing is so gross. So, <laughs> it just so disgusting. Right. He like holds it right in front of her and, and then he's like, oh, we got rid of all the TVs so I could just sit and look at them. Yeah, right. You did that, Rupert. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So love that. Love Sassy. But then Keely shows up and she's and when she and Sassy see each other and like their mutual love for each other. I just thought that was so funny because, I mean, they met through Rebecca and I mean, it's been some time now, but. You know, just going back to what we talked about in that episode when they were all in Liverpool and just how there's no jealousy between the two of them, you know, or a vying for attention or anything like that. It's just they love Rebecca. And so by extension, they just love each other. And I just I really enjoyed that moment because yet again, like that's this episode. I mean, there's so many heavy things. And yet these moments of comedy were just gold in this one i thought yes and the best part was right before that keely comes up to rebecca and goes i hate that baby like that baby sucks right you know um and then and then she's like i will be by your side the entire time and then she sees sassy and then she runs away (laughs) like but perfect you know oh i love that i love that yeah yeah and so the reason i brought that up even though it's kind of out of order, is because they start talking about how it seems like Rebecca's dating someone, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they all finally gather in uh, whatever that back room of the church is, and I, like the truth comes out pretty quick, I thought. Yeah. But even there, it's like they're just 100% supportive. Not a single person in that room says, yep. is this a good idea? Yeah. Like, should you be doing like nothing? Everyone's just like, that's great, you know? And so it reminded me of the Diamond Dogs and everybody mm. saying, well, that's great to Beard about his relationship with Jane and not really being honest. Oh, about- really? Oh, you picked that up? Oh, I didn't pick that up. Oh, I didn't get that sense. I just found it so hilarious that they were having so much fun in the back of the Catholic church. Is it Catholic or Anglican? Or, or Anglican, yeah. But they had to be told to be quiet three separate times. But each time someone came in was like, oh, there's a, this is where the fun is happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And I also love that this was, this fun was happening at a funeral. Right. Because I think about, yeah. um, uh, you know, when my dad passed away, like his brothers showed up, they hadn't seen each other in like 20 years. And then all of our family showed up and it was a, it was a lot of joy to be around everybody. Yeah. You know, and actually being allowed to have that joy, even though you're being told not to. And you're like, no, I'm going to feel all the feelings right now. And right now, the feelings are we're talking gossip and we're trying to figure out this really fun thing because Rebecca has never looked so happy, you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought people were just really happy for her. 
Oh yeah, and I and I think they were. It just made me remember that about that whole conversation mm. with the Diamond Dogs for some reason. So, but to your point, it's such a contrast to what Keely and Roy were talking about when they were getting ready for the funeral, right? Because she Keely says, you know, funerals are like a party, but for sad people, everyone knows they have to go and be sad. Yeah. And I agree. Like again, I think in a lot of cultures yeah, we feel sad for the loss, but we also celebrate the life that was, Yep. you know, but it's hard. Like, I know that's another thing um, that I realized kind of a few months after my mom died, I, I went somewhere and I was just having a really good time. And I remember having this moment of like, what are you doing? And I had to talk myself off the mm. ledge to be like, you know what? Mm -hmm. It's okay to laugh and it's okay to have fun and it doesn't take away anything from her memory or, mm -hmm. um, you know, or the fact that she's gone or anything like that. And so I think it's really easy to fall into that place and into that belief like, hey, we, we just have to be sad because right. this person we loved is gone, you know? Well, I think it's also this idea of like, well, are there rules? Like, should I be following certain rules? Is there a certain script, right? Like, are we supposed to walk through the funeral script? And, you know, I just did a workshop on gratitude and we talked about how you can feel grateful and sad at the same time. You can feel grateful, sad, joy and confusion all at the same time. You should be allowed to feel all those things. That's what positive psychology talks about all the time. But I th think we look to other people and we're like, well, we should be dressed in black and then should be doing this. And then after we do this, then we sing here. And it's just like, why are we? Who made up all this stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. do, you know, for anyone that's dealing with death or w would be in the future, I would say, like, feel all the feelings and don't judge yourself however you're showing up because, you know, everyone shows up differently. Exactly. And I think that's the, the key point, right? Like, grief hits people differently. And I do think, like, I, I really feel like gratitude and grief actually go hand in hand yeah. um, quite a bit. And it's one of those things that when you're in the midst of grief, being able to practice gratitude can help. Like, it really helps to uh, move you through certain parts of grief sometimes. And it reminds you of some of the good things, too, you know. And so I do, I do feel that. And then there's just this element of self-compassion for when we are going through it because you're right like it's going to be different for every single person and uh when i do my workshops i always talk about you can't compare your grief yeah. to other people right because otherwise you'll go down this rabbit hole of just feeling like you're not even grieving right and there's no right way to do that right right you know? or, and there's also the complexity of how you feel or complexity of how you feel about the person that died right because again, you're like, well, I should be sad that that person died. Well, I don't know how I feel about, you know, everyone has a different experience. Rebecca has a strong feelings towards her dad that is making her really difficult for her to even show up to the funeral, let alone like do a eulogy or anything else about that. So, yeah. And I think Rebecca and Ted both, right? Yes. So, they both have really strong feelings about their dads in two very different ways, right? So for Ted, it was his dad uh, dying by suicide. And for Rebecca, it was her dad cheating. And they both use the word hate, though. Mm -hmm. They both use the word, you know, or the they both say, like, I hated him for it. 
and I still hate him for it, which I think is really powerful. And it's interesting. I don't know how you felt about that, how they went back and forth between their stories. I thought that was like some of the best writing I've seen in the entire show. Yeah. Because that's really difficult to do that well. Yeah. You know, and again, that's a big risk to try to pull that off. Right. Yeah. But also, I just thought that that was just, you know, it was one of the most candid moments you heard of Ted and it's one of the most candid moments you've heard of Rebecca. Mm. And they're both processing with people that it's really, that frankly, it's really hard for both of them to share with at yeah. first. And yeah. both of them gave both those people, Rebecca's mom and, you know, Dr. Sharon gave them the space. Yeah, they really did. So let's talk about Ted and Sharon. Mm-hmm. So we start out, like you said, Ted's getting ready, you know, to his favorite song to get ready to. <laughs> and we cut to him getting ready to put his tie on. And now he's back into panic attack mode. And this time he he recognizes it. He realizes it right away and is able to obviously call Dr. Sharon. So yeah, so this time he's he's able to call Dr. Sharon. And what I loved is her phone still says Ted Lasso, but or coach lasso but she actually answered it saying hello ted Mm. and so you can see that even their relationship has started to change a little bit which i thought was a really nice little Mm. kind of clue there and she tells him to focus on his four seven eight breathing and that she's on her way and so are you familiar with four seven eight no so in the workshops that i do around trauma this is one of the things that we talk about is using the breath to downregulate when we are in a place of trauma or crisis. So what a lot of people don't know is there's something called box breathing. And so box breathing is actually a tactical breathing exercise that is used by law enforcement. It's used by the Navy SEALs. And it's a way to regulate your nervous system in real time. And so when we see that someone's having a panic attack or their um, nervous system is just dysregulating, so when we see that they're having a panic, panic attack or their their nervous system is kind of going off the rails and dysregulating, we want to get them kind of out of their heads and into their bodies. And so there's a couple of things people do. You know, one of them is just like having them focus on their senses. Um, but the other thing is using the breath. And the reason that the breath is important is because the breath is tied directly to the vagus nerve. And so the vagus nerve is kind of what I like to call the toggle switch between the two parts of our nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic. And so the breath kind of switches that uh, vagus nerve on and allows us to move from fight or flight, which is where we are when we're in that panic attack or in that anxiety, um, into rest and digest. Um, And so that's the place where we can actually catch our breath again and um, get to that point of being regulated again. And so the 478, it actually is a, a breathing technique that came out of traditional yogic breathing. But the idea is that like the we take the shorter uh, in-breath, like so the in-breath corresponds with our fight or flight response, and the out-breath corresponds with our rest and digest response. And so if we take a shorter in-breath and a longer out-breath, we're actually helping to stabilize the nervous system by engaging that parasympathetic side. And so that's why you have like the short four count in, and then you've got the seven count hold, but then you've got the double, you know, like double the time eight count on the out breath is to, to get the the breath back. And so, I mean, to get the nervous system back. So 
Uh, it's pretty common. So anyone who has regular anxiety or experiences panic attacks is probably familiar with 478. Mm. Also, people who have a hard time falling asleep, um, a lot of times 478 is recommended. Mm. But I love that they just talked about it. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like they don't dumb things down in this show, yeah. right? Like, it's not yeah. like she said 478 and then, like, goes on to explain it somehow. Like, they... Yep assume that the audience is smart enough to figure it out or look it up or whatever. Yep. And so I really appreciate that. And so she arrives walking her bike <laughs> to his house and goes in and we see it's just a mess. And and we were kind of talking about this a couple weeks ago uh, or a couple of episodes ago. At least I felt like Ted was starting to unravel and mm. I feel like we see his face now and like it's more apparent than ever mm -hmm. that he's kind of gone in that direction. Yeah. Nothing to say about that. I'm just, yeah, it's tough. It was just tough seeing him in that, in that space. But I thought it was interesting when she was like, what, what she's like, can I sit down? And he said something. What did he say? But he was just like something to the back of like, I would really like that almost. I wish the doctor would or something like I that. I wish the doctor would. Yeah. 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 And in the past, he you would think he used to run away. Like he literally ran out of her office. And now he's allowing her in his space and is asking her to sit down. So I was like, there's a lot has changed. Yeah. Um, I also love that she hates tea just like he does. I know. And then he wants to reveal everything to her when she says he thinks it tastes like what did you call it? Like waste wet paper, wet paper oh. bag. And then he's yeah. like, I'll tell you anything. So, yeah. So in this space, we find out that Ted, so not only did his father die by suicide, but Ted actually was the one who found him. Yeah. And actually heard the gunshot um, that led to it. And so when you think about that trauma, like that's, Especially for a young teenager, you know? Well, he found him and then he had to tell his mom. Mm -hmm. You know, and even now the way he describes this is like, I had to tell her to come home, mm -hmm. you know? And I thought it was really interesting how he even described it. It's just like, you know, uh, well, I hate him because like he quit. Yeah. You know, he quit, he quit on himself. He quit on his family. And that makes so much more sense now why Ted won't quit on others mm -hmm. and why he didn't want to quit on his relationship with his ex-wife. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yeah, that's deep. That's yeah. deep and tough. Yeah. It's like a full circle moment, right? Like all those little pieces that had kind of been left hanging along the way. It's like they all kind of came together now and we understand why he like why he feels this way about quitting anything mm -hmm. but it also we see why he kind of speaks the way he does and behaves the way that he does is because he says that in that moment i decided i was never going to let another person pass me by who might be hurting on the inside right 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 and so you think about his main phrase i appreciate you right, right? he says that to everybody he doesn't say, I appreciate it when they do something for him. He says, uh -huh. I appreciate you. And he is struggling with so much guilt because he feels like he didn't let his father know that he appreciated him. And that mm. maybe if he would have, things would have been different, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so now we have that understanding of like, oh, okay, so this is why he's so adamant about working with Jamie and bringing him back and mentoring him and, you know, mentoring Sam and making sure that he becomes a leader and, you know, getting Isaac out of his head and like back to playing the game, you know, like, or bringing Roy back to the team. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And what's also interesting is I think of the, the believe sign, which I have hanging over my door, right. The believe Mm -hmm. sign is also this form of like, most people will quit. Right. But I think of speeches he's given in the past, but it's like, no, this is when you, you double down on believing when no one else believes in you, I believe in you, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe in us. And yeah, that's that's how he doesn't want to... I guess he just doesn't want to recreate the experience that he experienced with his father. Yeah, I mean, definitely, right? But he also wants to just make sure that he's going to do everything he can in his power to make every person he comes across know that they matter. And that's huge. Yeah. I think what's interesting, what Dr. Sharon says, and then she goes, I'm sorry that happened to you, Ted. You know, and he's like, yeah, he took a lot away from me and my mom, right? Um, And then she asks, what did you love about him? Mm. And that just shook him because at first he couldn't even figure it out. And he was just like, he was a good man. A real chatterbox could be a better listener box, a listening box. And you could see like, oh my goodness, he's, you know, there's parts of him that's there, you know? And then he, and then he tells that story about Johnny Tremaine and the homework, you know, that he was freaked out about. And he never, you know, talk about panic attack, right? Like not doing your homework and then waiting a whole month. And then the test is the next day. And then his dad is like, you're okay. You know, uh, go to bed, think about something you look forward to, and we'll talk tomorrow. And then memorizes the whole book, reads the whole book, memorizes it, and then comes out and drives him to school and tells it as a bedtime story. And then he gets an A. Like, wow. Like, that is, that's Ted in a nutshell right there. Like, that's, that's Ted level love. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was an interesting thing that Dr. Sharon did, right? Because he initially, when she asks him that question, he's like, why? Yeah. And and she explains, like, you know, you've told me what you hate about him. Now I'd like to know what you love about him. And just, you know, bringing it back to that complexity that exists in relationships. It's never just this black and white thing where it's all or nothing. Like, yep. I mean, I know there's there's exceptions, right? Like if there's been major trauma or violence or mm-hmm. things like that. But even in that, so, you know, for me, when I, um, in writing my book, one of the things that I really realized was I knew that I had a complex relationship with my own dad uh, for a variety of reasons. And it was only through writing it that I realized like the moments at which I finally was able to, you know, to forgive and to find some compassion and things like that. But like, you have to be reminded of the good things. And, and for such a long time, I just was holding on to all the things that hurt. Right. And there was so much goodness too, though. And Mm -hmm. so I love that she brings that back and reminds him uh, or gives him that opportunity to remember something. And, and he, he's happy about that. Right. And that's like, but that's when he also has his realization that, 
you know, he doesn't ever want to let anyone else go by who might be hurting because life is just really, really hard. Right. And so it was such an incredible performance too, just yeah. from Jason Sudeikis and uh, even Dr. Sharon was amazing, but like his ability to just go there and really break, like you feel what he's feeling in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, so, and that he even says at one point, he's like, is it illegal? Can, can I have a hug? <laughs> and then I love that even at that moment, right? Again, levity. He's like, are you going to charge me for this session? And she's like, Yes, this is an at-home call. <laughs> and he's like, I appreciate your integrity. Like, I just love that whole dynamic that, yeah. again, reiterates earlier what, like, yes, this is a professional relationship and also I really care. Exactly, exactly. And so then mirroring what Ted's kind of going through is Rebecca, right? So she's in the church with her mom. mm mm I mean, the way that they did that story, it makes it seem like it happened on the same day for both of them, mm. which could be interesting. But yeah, so Rebecca is angry. She hates her father. Uh, she caught him cheating. And the worst part was that the next day he acted like nothing had happened and they just went on with their lives. Right. And that's like the worst thing to her. So she doesn't want to give a eulogy. It's also kind of weird that she wouldn't have known before now that she was giving a eulogy. Right. But who knows, right? Like, you know, it happened on Friday the 13th. She's trying to get into the wine and drink cabinet with Sassy, who I guess is named Florence. I didn't even know her name is Florence, right? Yeah, because she introduces her as Flo. Right. I think what was so powerful, she goes, I'm just so sick of keeping secrets. Mm -hmm. And I think when I see Rebecca, I feel like, Rebecca is always holding back what she wants to say. Yeah. You know, and she probably had to keep secrets when she was with Rupert, all the secrets. I'm sure he cheated on her as well. Um, and she probably hated herself for having to do that. You know, the fact that she held the burden of keeping the secret from her mom for so long, every time her mom like left him and then knew that he was going to walk away and like, who knows what other secrets, you know, Rebecca has, but it's just been eating away with her for so long. And I feel like what is refreshing about Sam is he has no secrets. He has no <laughs> burdens. Like he's so light and uh, airy and like, he's just like living his life. Um, yeah. And it's such a huge contrast for her where she is constantly buttoned up right yeah, yeah she and she's so buttoned up especially when she's around press that it's rare that she can ever even express joyful emotion and i think of the first time rebecca expressed joyful emotion that i remember is when ted beats rupert in that dart contest mm -hmm. that was the first time i saw where she actually like allowed herself to be seen in a bigger public setting yeah you know yeah, and um, not just like buttoned up yeah serious. and that must be exhausting and so stressful for her totally yeah and so you know she thinks that she's revealing the secret but her mom already knew so her mom's been keeping secrets too right mm -hmm. so her mom's known this whole time it did make me curious about if rebecca thinks her mom didn't know then what 
did she think her mom leaving her dad was about all these times? You know what I mean? Like, clearly, mm. they never really talked about that mm-hmm. because this is like the point at which they both realized that they each knew that he was cheating. <laughs> and so, um, so I thought that that was kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, the other, the other thing that really came up for me in this part was how our parents do so much to try to make make it so that our lives are just a little bit better than theirs, mm-hmm. right? And Rebecca's so angry at her mom for not leaving, especially when she finds out that she knew. And she says, well, then I hate you too. And that was just heartbreaking because she doesn't yeah. say at any yeah. point, she doesn't say, you know, I didn't really mean that. Or I mean, she just says it. And, you know, but her mom says, you know, I was so proud of you for walking away. Like I didn't have the courage and the strength to do Mm -hmm. it, but I was so proud of you when you did it. And it reminded me that when I finally left my marriage, which was not a good place for me to be, it was really hard. And it was right after my dad had passed away. And I remember every single one of my, my aunts, so my mom's sisters calling me one after another to tell me like how proud they were of me for standing up for myself and for doing what I needed to, to take care of myself. And you know, and I just thought like, you know, and, and they've, everyone's had issues along the way and things like that. But like we, I think are on the one hand, it's like our parents <laughs> shape our perceptions quite a bit. Um, and we carry a lot of that baggage with us. But on the other hand, we also have more opportunity in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to do something different and better that is going to serve us, you know? And I think of also the benefit of her mom staying maybe her mom thought she needed to stay with him because you know financially maybe she was just like and thinking about rebecca you know and what her life was going to look like especially during that time and it was interesting what her mom said when her mom said i'm actually glad to hear you hate me because all these years i thought you know you didn't think of me right um and i'll take your anger over your indifference you know, any day. And I was like, wow. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, she's been holding on to that for so long. You could tell the moms that weight off her mom's shoulders. Yeah. And I think that goes right back to this whole theme of you matter, right? Because yep. indifference is the worst. Like, if you've ever gotten the silent treatment from someone, like, yep. there is nothing worse than that. Yep. Uh, because at least if they're engaging, like, you know that there's enough there to, like, where they care enough to engage. And so to have nothing just leaves you with that feeling like you don't even matter. And so I think that that was like a big thing for her mom. And what's interesting, and this near the end of the episode, but um, I love what her mom said about, oh, that's how I handle Rupert. Yeah. You know, like she's just, she's kind of indifferent and just like polite and, and they're polite at the end. And it's so disarming. Yeah. For Ruby, he doesn't know how to handle it because he wants to, yes. he wants to go that more. And it's like, come on over, you know, you can hang yeah. out with us. And he's like, no, I want you to be angry at me. And instead, like, you don't care about me. And I've done this performative action just to get back at you. And now it's not working. Yeah, I have no power anymore, and then he just gives up all of his all of his shares. That's crazy, because he's like, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter to him. He can't hurt her that way, and it's like, wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah, 
And the caliber of acting on this show, like Rupert in that moment, there's just the slightest like look of shock, Mm -hmm. you know, before he recovers. And the same thing with Rebecca when um, she, when she and Sam are in the closet and he just hugs her and she initially like sinks into it. And you see that feeling of like relief on her face. And then you just see that slight shift, right? Where, the pat on the back. She was about to give him the pat. Yeah. And, but in her face also, just her facial expression yeah. shifts just a little bit to where you know, like, she's like, okay, I have to like stop this, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's really phenomenal acting. So let's talk about the eulogy because that <laughs> was so interesting. So, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you know me. I love it. I love it because that, because. You know, first off, I'm thinking she feels like she has to be perfect up there, right? She has to go up there and then she has to like brag about how amazing her dad is because that's what one does at a eulogy. But then instead, in the saddest, you know, most grief filled moment, probably, you know, she potentially has ever experienced publicly, she just starts playing. She literally just starts playing. She starts singing this song and not in a strong way either, by the way, just like in the very like almost like a kid, almost like singing like when she was a kid. And who joins her in the play? But the guy that comes in late because the whole time I was like, oh, I hope Ted makes it to the funeral. And he he I knew it. I knew that he would get her back. And when he starts singing and then everyone starts singing, talk about attunement, right? And talk about expressing how sad you are through song. I mean, why are songs written? Songs are written many times because you can't express it in another way. And everyone mourns together in the singing. And I was like, this is such a playful, joyful, sad, grieving moment. And it's just beautiful. And it's perfect. It's perfect in its messiness. It's perfect in its complexity it's perfect in its playfulness yeah by not trying to be perfect yeah i mean i feel like this particular part was so layered yeah i agree with you that she is up there she's at a loss for words but this song never gonna give you up by rick astley <laughs> uh oh my gosh it brings back such memories but <laughs> But it's interesting, you know, that they selected that song. And as we know, Ted Lasso does not do anything by coincidence or accident. So this whole thing of her getting up to to do the eulogy. So the whole, uh, all the Ted Lasso groups are filled with people talking about Rick Rolling. Have you heard about yep. this term? Yep. Okay. Yep. So um, for people who don't know, Rick Rolling was like something that happened in the, I guess, in the mid-2000s. Yeah. And it's just been happening forever. It still goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So originally it was this thing where you'd click on a link on the internet and thinking you're going to like one thing and then it would take you to the Rick Astley video. So Mm -hmm. that was called You've Been Rickrolled. And so what was interesting is Rickrolling is defined in (laughs) dictionary.com, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. But it's defined as a bait and switch prank where someone posts a link that seems relevant to whatever discussion they're having, but then the link redirects to Rick Astley's never going to give you up. And so I was thinking about like, well, what's the bait and switch here, right? And I think there's a couple of things. So first, 
she's getting up to do a eulogy and Mm -hmm. instead of a eulogy the song comes out right so Mm -hmm. that's like i think the kind of surface level bait and switch but then like i couldn't stop thinking about that this morning and like as i was getting ready and the other thing that came to me was that you know she had just before they came out there finished telling her mom how much you know like she hated her father and that she hated her mother so for me the other bait and switch was on herself where like she thought she was getting up she didn't really have anything good to say and then she's singing the lyrics to this song that are all about being there for people and loving them mm. and um you know and so again going back to that complexity of relationships and it's not just pure hate or whatever, but, and so I don't know, that's what came up for me. And the other part about that was like, I feel like for many of us, we have these moments in life. We have a moment in life when we realize that our parents aren't perfect. And so Mm. I don't know, like we go through a good chunk of our childhood, usually thinking our parents can do no wrong in a Mm -hmm. way. And then we have this moment where we realize like, Oh, they're not perfect. I think more often than not, we tend to judge them for that instead of recognizing, like instead of seeing their humanity and being able to say, oh, they're not perfect, they're human. And I think we forget that, right? Because parents are often put on these pedestals in our minds. And so I was just thinking about that this morning that like, you know, imagine if when we think about the complexity in those relationships and we think back on, you know, this process of like forgiving and whatever, if we could start to see the humanity in the people around us uh, and then find a way to let them know they matter. And so to me, like this was Rebecca's way of letting her mom know, like, I do love you and you do matter. And so, yeah, I don't know. It just, there was a lot that kind of came up for me around this, especially because I, I just kept thinking like that definition of Rick rolling is bait and switch. And so like there has to be more here that they're trying to put forward. I felt differently because I was just I was just thinking like this is the first time it's not Rick Rowling. <laughs> you know that they're actually singing the song and I was I've never really listened to the lyrics of the song so I was just writing them down as they kept singing them and I was like, you know, never going to give you up, never going to des- desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye never gonna tell a lie and hurt you and it's just like that's impossible (laughs) everyone does all those things right those are like no one is perfect right and maybe that's the that's maybe part of the point right that this person is trying to promise all these things that they just can't deliver on but you want to be able to deliver on right you want to be able to and i think that's the whole idea of the plays the opposite of perfection and and really enjoying the or appreciating the imperfections of people yeah and when you can actually appreciate the imperfections of people that's how you actually build real relationship that's how i feel that was a really powerful moment with her mom and her because it went from she being like turn off that song and her mom being like, okay, sausage, like even calling yeah. her sausage. So that's what she called her. And she's sleeping in her, her kid's room that looks exactly like <laughs> probably it did, you know, 40 years ago um, right. to then singing it publicly when she's like, I hate this song, but yeah. I still love you. Right. 
and I just uh, that 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 moment was just so beautiful. Having said that, just just a, a side note: beard with the iPhone, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> with, with iPhone and his girlfriend there singing Catholic Mass wasn't there later. Like had to go later, but like during that time was weird, and also the the breastfeeding during the funeral, like, and and what do you call it? Couldn't handle it. Like one of the soccer players was just like, "Huh, what's happening?" You know, he's like, "Didn't like just these." I love these just random moments that happen in these really tough s- scenes where you know it's just it's surreal. There's a lot of surrealness that happens around death and funerals, and and they, I believe, captured that uh, yeah, quite well. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that just came up as you were talking was also when you're in the midst of grief, or what, regardless of how complicated it is, it can also feel kind of isolating sometimes. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like people understand what you're going through. And it was just such a nice demonstration of how much they all love her right the fact that the whole team showed up yeah and none of them were trainers and they all stayed you know through the reception and they all sang to her like with her i was reading this article yesterday that i think this scene was written a little bit different and hannah waddingham you know went to jason spakus and said like this doesn't work it has to be different and she has to be singing it in this like disjointed way and Mm -hmm. and ted has to be the one to jump in to like help her Mm. and so they redid it in that way um it wasn't originally scripted that way and so i thought that that was really interesting because it's so powerful the way that it all played out it's so powerful because we know she's a good singer we know she's an amazing singer like the last time we saw her sing it was like absolutely amazing so for her to be singing it almost like she's a kid again yeah is really fascinating and and powerful i think the other part that you brought up that's really uh important especially when you're dealing with death is like you know i remember when my dad passed away there weren't a lot of people i could talk to about it that had also experienced death i remember reaching out to my friend lauren who had a experienced death and that was the only person i could talk to about it because everyone else when they would call me up to apologize or or contact me they wanted to process at that moment and i was like i'm trying to set up a funeral and contact people and just let you know and like you want to process at this time and it's tough it's really tough that's why i really also found the scene so magical where they are all laughing in the back and they have to be told over and over again to be quiet because like they're just showing up however they want to show up right and this this priest is like this is what you need to do you need to do it this way and it's like no no we're gonna talk gossip i'm gonna bring wine in here we're gonna go through all the emotions and i thought that that's liberating and i feel like that needs to be that People can do such a service to the to someone going through grief by allowing that person to show up however they want to show up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so I want to talk real quickly in these last couple of minutes about Nate. <laughs> Is his hair getting gray? I don't understand. What's going on with that? Like it got grayer. In one episode? I don't understand. Like explain that to me. I mean, it's progressively been getting grayer. Okay. And yeah, we'll see it continue to do so. We can definitely talk about that next time because it's a lot more noticeable. But 
Yes, it is. You are correct. It is. It has been getting grayer. Okay. I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going crazy for a bit. I thought I was losing it. You know, going back to this like awkwardness of what to say to people, you know, oh, you've got like his initial, you know, when everyone's telling Rebecca, so sorry for your loss or whatever, he's just like tries to come up with some witty, you know, and trying then fails. Be, trying to be perfect, right? Trying to be perfect. Exactly. And kind of gets humiliated and like walks away, right? And then it happens a second time inside right. the church, right? right? With the suit. And and Jan Moss, good Lord, like that man. <laughs> Dude. Even, even Jamie, Jamie, who is like so clueless sometimes, is like. And so sake, lethal like, himself was like, oh, dude, yeah. what did he say? Because what he said was like rough. Yeah, he said, oh, another man buying your clothes. It's infantilizing, no? And then Nate tried to defend it. He's just like, no, no, Ted doesn't buy all my clothes. My mom also yeah. buys me clothes. <laughs> and then he realizes, right? He realizes and he's like, uh. And so again, he walks away. Walks away. Like, yeah. And so, yeah. So we we get just those little like glimpses of, oh, yeah, he's struggling. And then when uh, Rupert leaves, though, he, he like he whispers to him and you I'm see like, Nate kind of look that. kind of intrigued, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of speculation when the show uh, originally aired about what was going to happen. So we won't get into it this week. Cause I know you haven't watched it yet. I have not watched it. I don't know. All I know is that whenever I go to Twitter to post stuff or something like that, there is a lot of animosity towards this guy. So I don't know what it is, but I know it's something. It's been like hovering over and uh, it's kind of uh, making me very nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Um, and then one line we didn't talk about, but I just want to mention because it's so funny is when uh, Roy and Keely are talking and he and she, you know, says, well, what would you want me to do if you got hit by a bus? Oh, yeah. And he says, avenge me, Keely. <laughs> and I just avenge me. Avenge me. And she wants to get she wants to get buried in like a tree. That's how I want to do it, too. So I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I love that. That's is that how you want to get buried, too, under a tree, like as part of the soil so that you become a, a tree with fruit? I don't I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> She's like, I don't know about that. That's I mean, the cremation part. Yes. But uh, I don't think I want to go in the ground that way. Um, but we forgot. Well, so the other funny thing was Danny in his shoes. Right. And the whole thing with. Oh, like, yeah. Yes. Right. And uh, Jamie's response about how these shoes were not made for us. They're made for uh, muggles. Muggles. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. Well, I I mean, while we're talking about great lines, like, remember when, uh, uh, what is it? Well, Sam first hugs Rebecca. He doesn't kiss her. I thought he was going to kiss her in the closet, but instead he gives her a hug. And then she, she says, you are, you know, you are so kind, loving and wise, but, and he goes, I hate big butts and I cannot lie. And I'm like, this is so, that was a great, lie that was great <laughs> i don't know 
know. It felt weird coming from him. Like, I feel like that's like something Ted would say, but maybe Ted's rubbing off. Maybe on people, Ted's rubbing you know? off of him. Maybe not like, I mean, you know, and he's a bit cocky too, because even at the end, he's like, you know, while you're, while you, you know, he's like, I'll give you as much time as you need, but just to let you know, I'm only going to get more wonderful. Like, I'm I like, know. this dude is, he's sassy. He's cocky. He's, he's, he's confident. Uh, I'm like, this, he is a swag to him. Yeah. But I love that Jamie and Danny are now friends and that's really lovely to see. But mm -hmm. the thing we forgot was Jamie telling Keely he loves her. Both so, of them. Both of right, them. So, right after each right, other. Yeah. Like, so Roy yeah. Roy comes. But you would think Roy would have seen him talking to Keely, but we see so much growth from Jamie. And it's like there's this part. It's <laughs> just this I like and he you see the growth in that he recognizes, he even says, I know that you're with Roy. I know you care about him. I know you're happy, mm -hmm. but I would, you know, kick myself if I didn't say this to you now. And it's just like, oh my goodness. Uh, like, you know, I was well, not. I thought that. that was the first time I actually liked him. Yeah. That was the first time, like, he was like, pure authentic like not doesn't have like some attitude behind it and it was so fascinating that he goes you know i love you keely and then he goes i'm sorry and then roy swoops in right after mm -hmm. shares vulnerably as well you know and basically saying that he's been making stupid jokes the whole time and that's because like you know when his grandpa died he wanted to talk to him and he wanted a, him to show up like Obi-Wan Kenobi and then he didn't show up, you know, and it made me realize I only got this one life. And then he goes, I love you, Keely. I'm sorry too. And you're like, so she's just getting bombarded with love right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I'd be confused, but I'm like, yikes, this is, this is, I did not expect this love triangle to come back. I thought it was already <laughs> done. Well, and that feeling of, just wanting one more, right? Like one more conversation, one more mm. meal, one more mm -hmm. hug, one more whatever. Like it's so relatable, yeah. right? Like when, yeah. when, especially when it's unexpected, but like, even if it's not, that part felt so relatable to me. But yeah, so we close out this episode with the song. It's um, I Remember by Molly Drake. And I was listening to the lyrics and it's uh, a song about remembering like a particular memory. And kind of the main lines that keep getting repeated are, I remember firelight and you remember smoke. And it made me think about how, it, just like with grief, like you can have multiple people experiencing this, like in the midst of the same experience and they all see it differently, Yeah, you know, and yeah. experience it differently. And so I thought once again, just a really beautiful way to, to bring it all together. One thing that confused me and I need your thoughts on this is, what did you think of the ending where they like popped in the summer of 79 video and they're just sitting there on the bed talking and then, and then Rick roll plays over it. What did you think of that? As I didn't know how I didn't, it was just a weird ending for me that I was like, huh? You know? Yeah. I didn't really understand it either. Um, in terms of like, who would have recorded that? So I was looking and there was a lot of discussion from people that the fact that it was taped onto the end of like her childhood videos 
would show something about like how much both her parents love the song. And I, I don't really understand how people got to that, but um, so yeah, I didn't really get it either, except to say that it was obviously a very important song in their family Yeah, because it, you know, her, her mom plays it every day. It shows up on this video and you get Rick rolled at the get at the end again. <laughs> like maybe that's yeah. the joke. Maybe the joke is that like you get Rick rolled, you know, you get to see her for a moment in the, in the bowl. <laughs> And then that's it. Oh, you know what? You're right. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's right. That's exactly the definition, right? It's mm-hmm. like they're thinking it's going to be a video of her and then it goes into the the video of the song. So <laughs> maybe yeah, you're right. I don't know. <laughs> she got rickrolled. So uh yeah, so I think we covered everything. Oh I mean, yeah. Oh, we were is. all over the place today, but I think we got just about everything. And so such a good episode. So yeah. well written. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites uh, for a variety of reasons. But all right. So any takeaways from today? Oh, I think the main one, which we've expressed numerous times, is this idea of allowing people to be however they want to be, however to show up, however they want to show up, especially when they're going through tough times, you know, especially death, you know. And again, it goes back partly to the twitch of like, you know, was he and other people allowed to be different parts of themselves? And the more we can allow people to be their complex self, you know, we talk about authentic self, you're allowed to show up as your authentic self, that cliche. What does that actually mean? That means that they can show up however they want to without judgment. That's a world I want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me is just remembering as often as possible to let people know they matter. Mm, so mm. that's definitely what I'm that's taking great. away. So anyway, well, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, we only have two episodes left for oh this season. God. And uh, we are recording when we just found out that um, they said season three is coming spring of 2023. So uh definitely looking forward to what that means and when we'll actually see an episode but uh i'm definitely curious to see where this goes so yeah Yeah. excited to finish up these last two i appreciate you you definitely matter you've impacted my life in many ways dimple and for everyone listening as well yeah thank you i appreciate you too and we uh, appreciate you you all matter thank you yes so take care everyone and we will see you next time. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, 
Thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.